right, all right, all right, all right, all right. Day 185. Welcome back to the Windows and Mirrors podcast. My name is Keith, and this is a podcast where we're trying to show you that the Bible is more like a window than it is a mirror. We come to it to see through it and to see God, not to it to primarily look at it and see ourselves. All right, so Isaiah 36, man, um, just a little context. Like this is a uh, hinge point for the rest of the book. So 36 to 39 is kind of, um, uh, you know, segues into the second half of the book. And basically we have, you know, um, narrative, right? So most of this has been prophecy and Isaiah speaking, but this is actual historical narrative that parallels with second Kings 18 and 20. So yeah, the setting is 701 BC, right? So this is 21 years uh, later after Assyria takes the Northern kingdom of Israel to exile. And so now they come back to Jerusalem and they greedy for more, right? So they're like, yo, um, man, which they, they're essentially trying to force Judah, the Southern kingdom to surrender to them, right? They, they like, yo, Hey man, just bow the knee. Like y'all ain't even got to fight us. Cause it's not going, it's not going to work. Just bow the knee to us. And so the King of Assyria at the time, sends a royal spokesman, right, his mouthpiece, basically to try and talk to uh, Judah, talk Judah into doing this. And all he is trying to do in this chapter, if you read it, is get Israel to abandon their trust in Yahweh. That's it. He's like, yo, why, like, why would you rely on Yahweh, right? And one of the ways, one of the ways that you know you are dealing with the enemy in this life, is that he causes you to try to get you to abandon your trust in God, period, right? He tries to get you to abandon trust in God, especially, man, this is so real, especially when your circumstances, right, are not favorable, right? And so he says this too, man, which is wild in verse seven. Um, the royal sp- spokesperson from Assyria says this. He says, suppose you say to me, we rely, that word for rely is actually uh, from the same root as trust in the Hebrew. We rely on the Lord our God. Isn't he the one whose high places and altars, Hezekiah, the king of Judah at this time, has removed, saying to Judah in Jerusalem, you are to worship at this altar. Have you ever listened to someone talk and you're like, oh, like, no, 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 like you really don't know what you're talking about, right? Like, You really don't have a clue. And here in verse seven, bro, he's like, he essentially equates the high places, right? And the altars that Hezekiah has told them to remove. (laughs) He he equates that with the worship of Yahweh, right? Like he's, he he really thinks these places where um, idols were worshiped is where Yahweh was worshiped. And so he doesn't truly, understand judah's worship worship situation and he tries to intimidate god's people he tries to say it out loud in front of everybody you ever meet somebody who tries to uh put on a show in front of people to 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 show their power he does that here too and he tries to pit the king of assyria against the king of israel right so the king of assyria is sennacherib the king of assyria of king of israel is hezekiah and he tries to pit them one against one another And ultimately, bro, he doesn't even really understand who Yahweh is clearly. Right. He clearly doesn't understand who Yahweh is. So chapter 37 comes. And what does Hezekiah do? He shook. 
He's afraid, right? Nonetheless, he sends though that we're in charge of his palace, the court secretary, um, um, and the priests. He sends them to Isaiah, and he's like, "Yo, um, man." He sends them to Isaiah because he understands that Isaiah is the prophet in this time, and to hear what Isaiah has to say. Um, was to hear what God had to say, right? And that is a mark of faith, actually, on Hezekiah's part. And one of the things I think the text is trying to show us here is that, man, the best tool to fight the enemy's lies is God's word, right? The best tool to fight the enemy's lies is God's word. That's why Paul in Ephesians 6, um, when he's talking about um, the uh, the full armor of God, the only offensive weapon that he talks about, everything else is defensive, you know, blessed play to righteousness, uh, uh, helmet of salvation, all that kind of stuff. The only uh, offensive weapon he uses is God's word. He says the sword of the spirit, which is God's word. And so we fight the enemy's lives with God's word. Think about Jesus in the wilderness. I think Matthew, uh, four or Matthew three, Matthew four, um, where he talks about that, uh, where he uses God's word against Satan's lies as well. Um, not our own rationale, not our own intellect, not our own plans or schemes, but God's word. And then here's what Isaiah says when he sends the people to him. He says, yo, the Lord says this, right? Don't be afraid because of the words you have heard with which the king of Assyria's attendants have blasphemed me, right? They're blaspheming Yahweh. I'm about to disrespect him. I'm about to put a spirit in him and he will hear a rumor and return to his own land while I will cause him to fall by the sword. What does God do by the end of the chapter? He strikes down 185,000 <laughs> in Assyria and leaves them for dead, right? Now, if we think about the book of Isaiah here, we see this is a military victory, right? But it did not come through a strong army, <laughs> right? It didn't come through an alliance with a more powerful nation. It didn't even come by fighting, right? It came solely from the hand of Yahweh. It came solely from the hand of God. And Yahweh, the God of the Bible, no one else proved that he is the only God, that there is no one else. And in saving his people, he proves who he is and that there is no other. And by the end of this chapter, he says, yo, I did this for my namesake. Right? I did this for my own glory. I did this because of the covenant I've made with David. Right. God keeps his covenant promises. Thirty eight comes. Man, in 38, um, the text takes a dramatic shift in the narrative. So basically, man, Hezekiah gets terminally ill. And basically, Isaiah says, yo, you about to die. Like, it, it, man, it's not looking good for you, bro. Like, you only got X amount of time to live. And you're not you're not going to recover, right? And Hezekiah, you can imagine, feels despair, right? He's like, yo, I don't stand a chance. And verse 2 says, then Hezekiah, watch what he does, turned his face to the wall and prayed to the Lord. Mm. He said, please, Lord, remember how I have walked before you faithfully and wholeheartedly and have done what pleases you. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And because of this, Isaiah comes back and says, yo, this is what the Lord God of your ancestor, David. Very important. I'm going to come back to it. David says, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Look, I'm going to add 15 years to your life. Now, what many people have often uh, took from this in the past uh, it's commonly, yeah, been said like, man, if I just pray hard in sincere prayers, God can miraculously answer, right? And do such things as add years to my life. And to which I would say, amen, right? However, the Bible is a window, not a mirror, right? There's so much more going on here. Now, think about this. Hezekiah, follow me, is from the line of Judah, meaning he is a descendant of David. That's why he is king of Judah, right? God makes a promise to David 
in 2 Samuel 7 that he would always have a descendant on his throne forever. Now, if Hezekiah dies here in this text before he has any kids from this illness, that promise would not be fulfilled and there would be no son to come after Hezekiah. So 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 what is the the, the text saying? It's saying this. Our prayers to God, oh, so good, can be for us, but man, they should be so much bigger than us. Hezekiah is thinking about future generations of God, God, God's people and godliness and God being in covenant with his people. Right. And so Hezekiah prays in such a way that God's covenant promises and purposes would be fulfilled on earth for God's glory. And the dope thing about this, bro, is that we can do the same thing. Right. While at the same time asking of God that he would intervene in our personal lives. We can be asking that he would fulfill his promises. Those two things can go hand in hand. In other words, our prayers for ourselves can be a means to an end where God is glorified and it sheds light on his covenant with his people. That's how Hezekiah prays here. That's like why Hezekiah prays here. 39 comes. And so, yeah, ironic. Chapter 39 comes, man. And what is often true of the people of God, you think about. The Exodus, right? Like what's often true to people got is that man, after a remarkable display of faith, after a high point in scripture, they just fail. <laughs> they fail miserably. And Hezekiah does that here. And so basically Hezekiah, you know, people folks in Babylon through the grapevine heard that he was sick. They sent letters to him, like, man, I hope you feel better. Send them text messages like, Man, get well, bro, praying for you, dog. Like, yeah, we got you. And they flatter him, right? They flatter him in that way. Um, and extending those uh, letters to him and they come to see him and Hezekiah allows them to come and he lets them into his palace and shows them all of his wealth. <laughs> Once again, we see the lack of discernment right here in this text for Hezekiah and he invites pagans into where he lays his head, my G, <laughs> right? Folks who don't serve Yahweh and he shows them all of the riches that he has and he owns, Right? As if these cats, he don't even know them like that, won't try to make those things that are his theirs, <laughs> right? And you may say, yo, what's what's the issue? Listen, what Hezekiah does is he tries to impress potential political allies, right? He knows about Assyria. And um, this, yeah, this text is not chronological, but he knows about Assyria and he tries to get Babylon impressed by what he has for them. And boy, man, this is such a word for our times. Listen, we self-inflict a spiritual cancer upon ourselves when trying to be impressive takes precedence in showing how impressive Yahweh is. Let me say that again. We self-inflict a spiritual cancer upon ourselves when trying to be impressive takes precedence um, over showing how impressive, impressive Yahweh is. And man, yeah, like this text is just showing us, man, like, ah, like we got to lead that to God, right? We miss out on so much spiritual good when we seek to do this and we got to leave being impressive 
to God. He is so much better at it than us. And Hezekiah, going hard to be all impressive, um, doesn't make him look foolish. It shows that he is foolish, right? Like Isaiah is going to come after this and prophesy judgment, right? He's going to say, yo, you did that. All right, yo, just know, man, like, uh, like, fam, like, y'all are going to go into exile to Babylon because of this. <laughs> and you know, that was crazy. You know Hezekiah's response, and it's so, the Bible is so human. It's so real. You know Hezekiah's response? He's like, oh, man, that's that's crazy. At least, at least it won't take place in my lifetime. And it's like, it's like, what? Like, it's like, how terrible, how dare you, how selfish, right? The same man who had regard for the next generation earlier shows the fickleness of mankind and this chapter is a hinge point for the book and really segues well into the next section as we hear about the babylonian exile and god's answer to the dilemma of the babylonian exile and we'll see not in 39 but we'll see that god comes and promises to solve the problems that we inflict upon ourselves thank god for a god that cleans up our mess Let's pray. Father, I pray that we wouldn't let things spiral out of control before we place our trust in you, regardless of circumstances, regardless of what the enemy says. God, I pray that we will believe much more what you have said, what you have revealed in your word, God. And we thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, that even when we do make a mess of our lives, when we go down wrong paths, when we do things we shouldn't, you come and redirect us. You come and clean up. Jesus name we pray.